Hello, and welcome to the XR Stories podcast, where extended reality and storytelling meet. In this series, you'll meet creative producer John Rose Adams. John will be talking to the creators and innovators behind immersive storytelling projects supported by XR Stories. You're going to hear about all sorts of interactive storytelling genres, from theatre to gaming to virtual reality escape rooms, and so much more. In this episode, John is joined by Mark Carlin from York Mediale to discuss Absent Cities, an online interdisciplinary immersive experience exploring the concepts of presence and absence. So make sure your camera is on and your microphone is muted as it's time to log on for the show. Well, hello, Mark. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast today. So can you start off by introducing yourself and also introducing York Medial as well to us? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Mark Carlin and I'm the executive producer of York Mediale, which is um, an international uh, media and digital arts company based in York itself, thus the name. And we work with and promote interdisciplinary work from a host of artists, often underrepresented, often newer ideas, often ideas that maybe are sitting a little to the left of the centre. And usually that's with a focus on crossing those artists with new ideas and technology and the digital sphere. And we have run up to this date two uh, festivals, 2018 and 2020. And throughout the year, we work on commissioning and partnering on a range of different projects. That's brilliant. But the main part of our conversation is about uh, one specific project, um, which is now called Absent Sitters. Um, And we're going to try and talk about every bit of that, if I possibly can, because it's a fascinating project and the outputs from it and the performance is amazing. So um, I'm just going to enthusiastically garble questions at you for a while, Mark, and you can you can kind of rein me in when I get <laughs> get with, too excited. With pleasure. <laughs> so so first of all, let's introduce um, all the partners to this project. You brought a lot of people together for it. So by my reckoning, we've got so York Media, uh, Gazelle Twin, Kit Monkman Associates, and from the University of York, um, an academic called um, Jess Wells and Ben Eyes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Bringing them all together seemed in theory like a good idea. And then I guess almost two years ago, we began the process of turning that theory into some sort of reality. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I I loved um, when I met you all together, exploring all the connections, those connections you had and the fact that um, Ben um, knows Elizabeth and has worked sound with Elizabeth for for a number of years. Um, And it's great. So Ben also works at the University of York. And so there's there's lovely set of connections there that that made this project sort of tantalizing as well because and, and I think I think I'm right in that everybody shares what you described as a slightly left of center um approach to their their artistic practice and what they ha- and how they'd like to explore what they do so um yeah you, you had us at the team it was wonderful as XR stories we were lucky to um be able to offer some funding for um the, the project how did that help you I mean that helped us enormously to the point that that was the impetus 
the actually the reason for bringing that group of people together. Um, I think as Mediale, we're always we've got a bank of artists and people that we're interested in working with, developing work over long periods of time. When the XR stories first pilot call and then the the original uh, pilot projects call came out. It, it just was the perfect opportunity to bring that group of people together. It, it made total sense that the questions and ideas that XOR are there to support and looking to push and develop further, that there was an idea and a group of people really well placed to to do that. Yeah, that, that was essentially the reason why we, we got everyone together. And then it's been what's helped us move the project away from just talking about it and ideas into actually being able to test and commit time and resource and and expertise to to, to bringing it together. So let's let's talk about the concept then, because the ideas that you set out to explore through the project were centered around kind of the notions of absence and presence and that in the sense of both performer performance audience even venue and the r&d was deliberately to kind of explore that kind of um, work and that in terms of the timeline was before covid happened at, at which point everybody was you know asking themselves fairly searching questions around what it means to be present and absent and living our lives and relationships mediated through screens. To a certain extent, we're still doing that right now, even as we're recording this. So before COVID, what was the, the driving force for wanting to explore these, these broad ideas around presence and absence? That's a really good question, and it's a really big one. Um, but yeah, I think it's really important with this project to remember that the drive behind it wasn't because we entered into the COVID-19 pandemic. Although like absolutely everything, it's become hugely affected and influenced by it. But what we were really focusing on was the absence of the performer, you know, trying to really understand fully what it means when you remove the central person that, that things are built around. Um, and the, some of the questions in there are really interesting. For instance, with a, a contemporary composer, they would create a new piece of work, but no one would expect when they go to see that composer's work being performed that the composer themselves would be there. And that doesn't cause any trouble for any of the audience. It's expected. So effectively, it's part of the contract. So there's an example there that if you then had a contemporary pop musician, if you like, creates an album, sends it out for people to experience and enjoy, but they're not there, then it causes consternation. And there's been some examples that the 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 band The Knife experimented with that probably in 2010, where they weren't on stage, but they were still there. And it was really interesting to observe the response from the audience, which was largely negative because it wasn't part of the contract. They'd signed up to see the knife, even though an incredibly elaborate live stage show was unfurling before them. 
something wasn't quite right. So I think a, a lot of the those early conversations were around that. Then, like the rest of the world, we were plunged into the fact of, oh, not only are we looking at not having a performer, we're now looking at not having an audience. So after that point, we, in terms of process, we really had to turn things back to front because our ambition and our logical starting point was we would start by creating a live event that had resonance and, you know, depth and feeling for the an assembled audience. And then we would look at how that the digital and immersive sphere could interact and play with that to ultimately in the long term to create a, a kind of compelling hybrid idea. But getting a live audience and a venue in that time period was impossible. So we went to everything was then created on Zoom. And we eventually settled on actually everything that we've been doing was on Zoom. And every, a lot of the ideas we were trying out were on Zoom. And suddenly it felt like uh, Zoom is actually our venue. This is where we're rehearsing. This is where this idea is playing out. That's brilliant. And that is the perfect segue then into an attempt. And I say it's an attempt because I've noticed that an audio podcast is not necessarily the best way to convey a description of an immersive experience, but we're going to give it a go. So <laughs> so um, can you explain what the um, the York Medial 2020 performance of Absent Sitters was in its in its sort of core and then I, we might dig a bit around and as to kind of like how you put it together as well because that fascinates me too but try and describe yeah what actually it, it was yeah um I mean it, it, it's difficult because it it very much was about experience in a moment and I think to rewind and maybe re uh re-emphasize that the thing that we were really looking at and we're still looking at is the power of collective imagination what role does that play when you are experiencing something and i think our hunch between all of us is that it's actually huge it's what all of those unwritten signals and rules and things that you just take for granted all of them when you build them up put something in your mind that you share with other people and through that you actually create an enormous amount of the energy that creates the live experience. So obviously that's unbelievably difficult on a flat online platform like Zoom. But we started to think, well, this is great because you can actually test some principles and some ideas. So what it boiled down to was each performance was in, uh, with an audience of six people one of which who was the nominal performer. Um, but obviously that performer was only as present as everyone else, the other five that were assembled. We then started to work on a series of, not necessarily rules, but cues that we then briefed the audience on. So things that they might do to their home environment that would create some sort of parity and shared sense of being in a shared space and then we started to work on a, a composition from elizabeth a, a spatial audio treatment from uh, ben and jez a and kit started working on a kind of lighting and filmic almost backdrop i don't want to say film because it 
wasn't that, but there was elements of that that then interspersed with a live uh, element that was hopefully at times unpredictable. So, Mark, you described um, within the Zoom experience one of the, the sort of the places allocated is that of the performer. Can you explain to us, like, what, what that is? So, what was the performance sort of screen, and how did that work? Well, essentially, in, in terms of what you got when you, you logged on, similar to when you you would arrive at your Zoom call, you arrive uh, to the venue, almost into the lobby, and then once everyone has arrived everyone's admitted into the room. You have six tiles, all of which are the same size and the same depth. And then there's a main screen, which is serving you the kind of visual world. Um, So that visual world is echoed in the performer screen, but without a performer being present. That, as the performance evolves, starts to change. There's an interplay between the the live the, the film feed the live feed that you see in, and that uh, actual performance, and without spoiling it completely, because I, I think we would quite like to do a version of the just the zoom version again. It, it's sort of the narrative experience, which really I think it's there to to go back to the question of actually who is the performer here because we often spend a lot of our time on Zoom looking at each other and looking at ourselves. So it really kind of played with that to the point where I think what we wanted the audience to experience is, am I the performer as much as anyone else here? Or am I not? (laughs) What most straightforward performances are, if you think it was brilliant, it's like, I went to a show last night it was so brilliant. They did this, they did that, they did the other. But we never talk about what we did as audience. Whereas I think at the end of this one, most people really focused on, well, how did I look? What what did I bring? So I think that was the, the driver behind yeah. that layout and that feel. Definitely, and it's so effective. Uh, and the, the, the concept um, as it played out was, was described... Um, as a, a sort of a virtual seance and I, I think when you were talking about how how you sort of layered the sort of the fabric of the sound and the the musical the compositional elements and the visuals the the effect was to sort of create a certain suggestibility in the audience as well which is a which to my mind is is the, sort of the classic seance setup which is that um you you play with people's innate kind of frailties you get them to a position where they will believe something um and then that 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 is sort of performed out that was so well played and some of the visual tropes kind of suggested seance as well you know there was obvious references to that kind of stuff um but i think mark and you you always describe this more eloquent than me but you also described it conceptually as a seance to 2021 and the fact that we've have lived these sort of slightly kind of um 
abstracted, suggestible lives where we've been I don't know, attached to uh, news bulletins daily coming through, telling us how we're going to live our life in the next day or so and, and how we've um, just become more used to a different kind of suggestible way of living and that kind of stuff. So um, was that that part of it, the seance kind of motif, was that always there or did that again, did that come through the R&D process and, and in some way? Um, it, it very much came through the R&D process, but it did arrive quite early on when we were thinking and debating and talking about that idea of collective imagination. Then the seance is probably one of the oldest and maybe I was going to say best understood because I think they're probably often misunderstood. But certainly the language of what a seance is to most people is very much about collective imagination. For, I'd say, the vast majority of people, they would believe, not believe that what may be happening is happening. But then largely for the people that are involved, does that even matter? Because they've subscribed to that thing that they're in. So that metaphor or that language was quite useful mm -hmm. because it, it spoke to the idea of collective imagination and the power of the people assembled. And of course, the seance will normally have the the absent sitter. I mean, the name itself comes from that terminology. Uh, there will be the medium or the sitter that will channel it. So there's a sense of a performer there, but their role is different, I think, than, than what we would have in, in the, the popular performance. Mark, I was lucky enough to um, to be part of one of the audiences for that. And I mean, I, I'd struggle, I struggled and I still struggle to describe it because my response to it was mostly kind of emotional uh, in the sense that um, what you were able to do, and this, I think this is in large part sort of the magic of the people that you assembled for this, is that using Zoom, you were able to convey a whole series of different kind of like emotions and, and create kind of points of unsettlement and making us feel like we know what's going on and then don't know what's going on and just leading us around beautifully. And I was like, genuinely, I was a little bit shaky afterwards. I was like, am I scared? I'm not scared. I'm just, I'm un, you know, I'm, I'm affected or whatever, you know, and that was amazing because it's Zoom, you know, like we spend our lives on Zoom being largely unaffected, no offense. Um, mm, of and course. so this was, this was an incredible thing. But so, so little, little elements that I thought were just incredible like the strobing the main screen um, which would then reflect the light back off the audience members faces back into the the feeds that we all got of each other's faces but but because it's all online and we have different latency on our systems it all happens asynchronously and those little beautiful moments were just like that's brilliant that that's you know like that's great because I, for the most part you know your fellow audience members are there but you, you, they, you know, they, they're kind of they're hidden away and all that yeah. kind of stuff, and, and just little touches like that, which of which that's one example of many that were littered throughout the performance, or placed throughout the performance, um, was just beautiful. So, in terms of an audience member who felt like joyfully unsettled by the end of it, was that was that the intent um, partly behind that? Was it was it to try and bring out some some of this kind of visceral kind of response that that I felt? Um. Yes. And a little no. Okay. Elizabeth's work, I think, is always drawn to uh, a darker side. I would say that there, yeah. there's elements of that um, uh, horror, uh, 
sort of occult spiritual um that that feed into it so i think that's part of her sound world um i think it's also an area where uh kit found a, a quite a rich vein to to, to furrow into and also ben and jazz so i think the feel of it had that but i think some of the things that you described what the real impulse was was to try to think of the the simple things that remind people that they're together so the first thing on, on zoom what you normally see is what we can see right now is it's a different everyone's got a different backdrop we're in clearly in different rooms so the very simple fact that we did all of these performances after dark and encouraged people to be in as complete darkness as possible instantly transforms the venue and and to me it was it was a little bit like when you're in a venue in the daytime and the theater lights are up or the club lights are up and you go in at night and it's dark and it's dressed it feels dramatically different then i think the some of the lighting and strobing effects and and highlighting that uh, actually we're all looking at the same thing uh, i'm not getting something different from you but also then what was a I guess a happy accident that we realized early on is that the internet latency and different uh, connection speeds give you this sometimes this beautiful cascades, which were just a really thrilling kind of thing in and of themselves. But yeah, I think what we were again hoping to do, and I think these were the sort of rudimentary first steps, were that even on something as flat as Zoom, there are ways that you can feel together um and it was just you know an attempt to think to furrow into into those as much as possible yeah definitely well it was so successful i love how you describe it as a first tentative exploration because you know, it was the best thing i saw admittedly in a funny old year um <laughs> but it was easily the best um immersive experience um of my year so um so that's brilliant The story isn't isn't over in terms of absent sitters, so there's further development work um, going on. So can you explain what you can of that and potentially where we might see a version of absent sitters um, in the future? Yeah, so we're right now back in the thick of it again, actually with phase two of development, um, and we're going to be at the university again uh, for... Uh, we're doing a full week of development, but this time we're looking at bringing that live embodied audience into the mix. So we're developing a lot of the ideas, all of the same language, all of the same kind of questions into an experience that's in a physical space um, and then building in a hybrid aspect to it as well. And uh, originally when we looked at this, we were most interested in just really fully understanding the live aspect of it. You know, we, we'd done a digital version. The ambition was to do a, a physical version and then look to how that could become hybrid. But from the ideas and what we've been developing, that looks like we're going to go sort of straight to that hybrid mode. And we've got some, we've got some really great ideas around how we, and simple ideas we hope around how that could work. 
but obviously we're going to go and find out um, and see are those theories and hunches right or are we back to the drawing board again? <laughs> and when you say hybrid, do you, is that particularly around kind of the audience? So do you mean like hybrid as in the audience could be physically present or remotely present? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So we'd be looking at an embodied audience and a, a, a dispersed audience theoretically and we hope that it'll be possible that that could be from anywhere on the globe, um, probably from through using um, uh, immersive tools. Um, but all of that is TBC. But we are, we've been in conversation with Ars Electronica Festival in Linz in Austria, yeah. and we will do a version um, during their festival run between the 8th and 12th of September. So we're committed to doing that. We're just not entirely sure how it's going to look uh yet but based on how we've done things before i think we're pretty confident that um something interesting is going to come together yeah i think you'll be all right Have you got a recommendation for us of something that you you saw, experienced, played that was a sort of a standout thing from the last 12 months? Well, actually, yes. And it's a little bit of um, shameless plugging of (laughs) Mediale's work. But I was uh, actually yesterday at Coventry City of Culture 2021. We co-commissioned a new immersive piece with Marshmallow Laser Feast called Observations on Being with City of Culture for City of Culture. That opened at the beginning of June, the middle of June and is running to the end of August. Um, So yesterday was the first time that I got to experience it as a, you know, an audience member. Mm -hmm. And it was really wonderful. It's set in an arboretum in a cemetery to the uh, London Road Cemetery in Coventry. And it's an installation comprising seven audiovisual pieces that are placed on a trail around the Arboretum. Um, and it's, it's all focused on, I guess, man's connection with nature or the sense that we are not different, that we're, we're as one. Um, they've developed the project with a ton of really interesting people, um, like scientists like Stefan Harding and... Merlin Sheldrake and musicians like John Hopkins and Suzanne Ciani. Oh, wow. So it's really beautiful. It's an hour long piece. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed that. And, and some of the most effective bits, again, felt so simple. I mean, I know from behind the scenes, they're not, yeah. but you know, some beautiful spatial audio pieces just with the, the trees and the arboretum around you with actually no technology visi- visible at all. And yet just a sense of, wow. So yeah, I'd, I'd highly recommend that. That's a good recommendation. Get yourself to Coventry. Well, Mark, that's our conversation concluded. Um, thank you Brilliant. so much for taking some time out to talk to me. Um, and we're look, really looking forward to kind of seeing where the, you know, the, your collaboration around Absent Sitters goes um, and, the, and the amazing variety of ways you can, as a team, like imagine creatively what what that project can be which is just absolutely fantastic for me thank you very much brilliant thanks john yeah exciting to see the next phase looking forward to unleashing it (laughs) brilliant thank you for listening to the xr stories podcast 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. And don't forget to rate and review to help more people find us. You can find more information on our projects by heading to our website, xrstories.co.uk. Or you can find us on Twitter at xr underscore stories. XR Stories supports research and development in cutting-edge digital technologies in the Yorkshire and Humber region. We have a programme of funding, research collaboration and connection to champion a new future in storytelling. XR Stories is supported and funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council, the European Regional Development Fund, the University of York, the British Film Institute and Screen Yorkshire.